Hello and welcome into the Gotta Be Saints podcast. I'm your host, Brendan Gotta. Join me each week as I speak with future saints about being saints. Today's podcast is titled Conversion Made Possible with Stephen Nelson. Stephen, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being on. It is a joy to get to talk to you. So for today's for today's episode, I'm speaking with Stephen about his new book and this topic of conversion. I think especially uh, as we are in this Lenten season, it is so especially important to be thinking about uh, the ways of growing in holiness and uh, conversion in the sense, too, of uh, understanding conversion is not just for somebody who is not Catholic and entering the faith, but conversion uh, that many of you listeners at home and I also need to be focused on, the conversion of the moment, the conversion of the day, continually seeking holiness, and after a stumble or fall, getting back up and pursuing God. So today, or to begin, I want to give you, Stephen, the opportunity to firstly uh, just introduce yourself, and then we'll, we'll, we'll go from there. Sure, thank you. So my name is Stephen Nelson. I am a co-founder of the Apostolate Gaudent Angeli, which is Latin for the Angels Rejoice. We're a Los Angeles-based apostolate. Our mission is to restore devotion to a forgotten saint uh, who happens to be the ancient patroness of, of Los Angeles, Saint Bibiana. Not the Saint Bibiana that you know from the martyrology. She's not the fourth century Saint Bibiana who has her feast day on December 2nd, but a uh, St. Bibiana from the 3rd century who was discovered in the 1800s by Blessed Pius IX and given to L.A. as the principal patroness of this archdiocese. Um, So our work is to bring her back into common view and devotion. Related to that, we also have a desire to seek out other devotions that society might be wanting of and restore those as well all the while trying to uh, entice people outside of the archdiocese to be attracted to prayers to St. Bibiana. Uh, so we sneak her in kind of through, through a, a side door, if you will. Yeah. Um, but I'm a convert to Catholicism from Protestant Christianity and Judaism. Uh, my wife and I converted, she's a revert, revert. I converted, uh, she reverted, but right before we got married in 2009, 2009 today's actually, our uh, 14th wedding anniversary. So oh, well, um, congratulations. Thank you. And it'll be, I hope you get to celebrate tonight. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Within, within a, a Lenten reason. Um, but in June will be our 15th anniversary of being Catholics. So um, we've got six kids. I live just outside of Los Angeles uh, area and have been here pretty much all my life. Oh, it's beautiful. Well, I'm excited to get to chat with you. So we're we're talking here today about your book, the Magdalena Prayer Book. What inspired you uh, to really focus on St. Mary Magdalene as the model for conversion and penance in your book? Yeah, well, um, St. Mary Magdalene has always been someone who I've been drawn to personally, as well as my co-founders. Uh, one of my co-founders is also a convert, convert from Protestantism. Um, and, you know, like, I converted as an adult, so I lived a life beforehand, which, you know, is is kind of a 
I mean, most cradle Catholics, most Catholics who are practicing their faith today, they forget that if you're without the struggle of going to confession and fighting your faults, uh, you tend to be overrun by sin. So I have had a lot of sins in my past that, you know, I just I couldn't really get away from. And it's, it's hard to like convert and just be okay with that being in my past. And, you know, in large part being in my present, I'm still a human, still struggling. Uh, but St. Mary Magdalene is just this glorious image of taking back salvation through penance. Uh, which I can't take it back through my innocence because I lost it. But after conversion, I could do it with penance. So she quickly became the model. We had a friend who suggested her being kind of the patroness of the book. Mm. And uh, the book itself was inspired by, of course, the events of 2020 and the shuttering of our doors of our churches and the sacraments. So, um, trying to dig into, okay, what is, we're, we're telling, we're being told by our pastors, like, you got to practice perfect contrition and spiritual communion during this time. You can't get through the sacraments. So we were all like, you know, what, it, what has the church really taught about this? And that's really the origin story of the book and, and the time. Well, I love it. I think back of COVID, I remember in my diocese, I was living in the time in the diocese of Covington, Kentucky, and our doors were shut for only 60 days, which uh, in some dioceses was a fraction of the length that they were shut down. So I say that uh, understanding that my situation was unique, but it was still a long 60 days. And I remember being deprived of physical communion. And I say deprived because that's really what it felt like. I felt this great sadness. Uh, our, Our pastor or our bishop, I should say, was a good and faithful man. So he made it so that every church still had to have adoration uh, every day for at least an hour. And based on COVID restrictions, you could, of course, go to the church during that hour. Uh, if as long as there was only you know a certain number of people, they knew there wasn't going to be a problem uh, with, t- with too many people entering the church. But uh, I still think back to those times. I think you talk about spiritual communion. Uh, that was essential. I remember saying that prayer every single day during those 60 days, asking to receive those same graces that I might have received if I was going to daily mass. It's a real thing. It's a struggle. And I applaud you for for taking on this work because I think it is uh, so essential to be thinking about those things because also, uh, I'm sure you talk about it in your book, but the value of just receiving those graces uh, anytime, you know, spiritual communion can be said at any time, even if you went to mass that day, but we both know that that is not a practice of um, many people. It's not, it's not possible for many people and other people haven't even considered it. So um, I'm, I think this is a, a beautiful thing that you're, you've done. And, and uh, I have the book right in front of me. I think, uh, I'm excited to, to to dive into it myself. Can you now a, a little bit elaborate on the distinction between uh, looking at contrition? Uh, let's let's go let's go there for a second between perfect and imperfect contrition, and then why understanding this difference uh, can be so crucial to one's spiritual growth. Yeah, yeah. If, if I may, I, I'm going to zoom out a little bit and talk about the word literally first. That's okay. What the yeah, please, does. please do. Yeah. So the Council of Trent is basically the the 
body of theology that we pulled from to create this prayer book. And uh, in large part, because it's, it's the only council and catechism that really deals with it at length and really was the first, the first one to deal with it really simply in, in terms of, of what a priest might be able to, a parish priest might be able to tell his parishioners. Um, so literally the word contrition means this is from the book, the breaking of an object into small parts by means of a stone or some harder substance. And here it's used metaphorically to signify that our hearts hardened by pride need to be broken by penance. Mm. So you can, you can think of yourself at mass, you know, doing the mea culpa or doing the Agnus Dei, like any, any time the priest or the faithful beat their breast, your fist is a little stone trying to break the heart and heart of pride within you. And that's really what contrition is. It's liter- literally means the breaking up of the object. And then the council deals with it more generally and says, and then there's this word contrition, which we apply religiously. And contrition means um, from the book, a sorrow and detestation for sin committed with a purpose of sinning no more. So that's contrition as a category. And then, you know, in the church's wisdom, she goes even further to provide more nuance. So there's a difference between imperfect contrition and perfect contrition. Imperfect contrition, which she usually describes as attrition, uh, both both types of contrition deal with your intention. And we can reverse engineer the, the understanding of it from the act of contrition itself, where it says, um, I detest all my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. That's imperfect contrition. Imperfect contrition is your intention is, I don't want to go to hell. And uh, I'm even like just shocked by the heinousness of my actions. Perfect contrition says, because thou art all good and deserving of all my love. That's perfect contrition. We're removed to penance and confession because we're so we're so uh, sorrowful for having offended so good a God. Um, perfect contrition is an act of grace. So we can kind of think about it like a uh, a theological virtue almost. It 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 needs God's movement in order to for it to happen in the soul. Imperfect contrition we can arrive at naturally, and it's sufficient for confession. So, so you don't need perfect contrition for every confession. You can, you can get by with just imperfect contrition. But for but for the results of perfect contrition, which we get into, you need God's grace. You need the intervention. You need it to be perfect. Actually, mm, yeah, I uh, I think that's a really good way of explaining it. I don't know if I've ever actually had anyone explain it uh, to me. So. I appreciate you saying that. I, I think back to my days in college and going to confession and uh, on those those occasions where I committed a sin I should not have committed that was uh, a little higher uh, degree, thinking about, can I receive communion, you know, and, and saying, <laughs> do I have perfect contrition? I, I very, uh, I, I can guess that I probably did not, um, but it, it's an interesting uh, thing to be thinking about. So, I, I know your your book also mentions God's desire to shower us with mercy. This is not a unique point, but one that can never be overstated. Um, how would you suggest, or how do you suggest in the book that readers open their hearts to receive our Lord's mercy and really be able to transform their lives? So, if we're talking here about conversion, I think this is a question that probably uh, should be asked. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great question um, because, so this is a prayer book. 
and it's it's got sections that are basically divided by virtue of what Council Trent describes as the anatomy of perfect contrition. Those are my words. It uses more theological terminology, but yep. you can kind of you can reverse engineer that uh, perfect contrition kind of operates a certain way. So we've used those as guiding guiding section headers for prayers of the church that we've curated and fit in those categories. Um, so if you're using my book and you're wanting you're wanting that effect, of course we can't get that effect without asking for it. It is only achieved by God's good grace and prayer. But we can get the conditions right in our soul. Um, just like with faith, hope, and love, we can get our, the conditions right. We can pray towards it. We can make acts of love, acts of faith, acts of hope, which actually say you've got those virtues, but they're an act. So you're, you're also invoking, you're petitioning God for the grace to act. Um, when we make the act of petition, it's the same thing. And if, every section has these prayers, which you're meant to pray through. Uh, you know, at your pace, not rush through, not, you know, tally up like, okay, I did, I did each section and now I'm going to have perfect contrition. Um, you kind of, kind of got to wander through this book and really prayerfully and carefully. And at the end of each section, there's an act of contrition where you can renew what you're asking for, which is perfect contrition. And along the way you're, you're met with various penitential saints the penitential Psalms from King David, um, different prayers of the church, different meditations, and hopefully it's cultivating those conditions so that you can make the act of contrition perfectly. Um, but I like to read this quote from the Council of Trent. Usually when we hear about the Council of Trent, we immediately start to think like, oh, here's this cold, stodgy council from the 1500s that has nothing to do with me today. Like, just give me, give me the latest and greatest stuff. But we forget some of the beauty of that council. Like one of the things, um, of course, his name escapes me, the Pope that that decreed the creation of the catechism. Um, he had him rewrite it again and again and again, the catechism of the Council of Trent, so that it can be written in the same tone of voice. It can be, sound like it's coming from the same person so that people can access it. But there's this quote. It's a little long. It's a couple sentences. Do you mind if I read it? Oh, please. Please do. Yeah. So this is from the first part of penance in the Roman Catechism, which is another word for the Council of Trent's Catechism. Since God is most desirous of our salvation, he will not delay to pardon us. With a father's fondness, he embraces the sinner the moment he enters into himself, turns to the Lord, and having detested all his sins, resolves that later on, as far as he is able, he will call them singularly to mind, and confess them. The Almighty Himself, by the mouth of His prophet, commands us to hope when He says, The wickedness of the wicked shall not hurt him in what day soever he shall turn from his wickedness. So that should give us a lot of hope. You know, God God is most desirous toward for our salvation that He will not delay. Another place it says, He is so disposed towards us as willingly depart those who are truly penitent. That's His disposition towards us. He's waiting for our sorrow. And the moment we turn in, the moment we get up, we say, I will return to my father's house. Even if I'm a servant or a slave in that house, it's better than eating the slop of the pigs per the parable of the prodigal son. He sees us from afar and he runs out. So we need to be hopeful. We need to pursue him. And St. Mary Magdalene is, is going back to the original question. 
is one of the best images for persevering towards contrition, persevering towards forgiveness. She was forgiven much because she loved much, mm. which means she banished all fear. We know love casts out all fear. And she pursued him, even though like the social, um, you know, expectations of the time were shocked and scandalized by her presence and in the various points that she anointed our Lord. Um, she was just like, she didn't care about that. All she cared about was being his friend and being forgiven. And that, that teaches us a lot about like what holds us back from feeling like, oh, I'm not worthy enough. I can't get back to him too far off. Saint Mary Magdalene should ring crystal clear in our in our eyes and ears as to like, you know, that's what I'm supposed to do. Like I'm supposed to just like go over the top towards them and and have my heart broken in front of them. And this this book seeks to do that to break your heart. Oh, it's wonderful. Well, I and mean, then you think both of us, I'm sure, think about the people in our lives who we would say they are the holiest person I know, or they are one of the holiest people we know. What you're describing, you see in that person. There's this ability, this desire to love the Lord in such a radical way that says, I don't care what you think about me, what you might say about my actions. I am going to love the Lord fully and in a way that is is radical. And when it's when it's lived out, when it's seen, uh, you can't help but be inspired by it. You can't help but be touched by it. So I, I, I love everything you're saying. Um, this book, I, I I have to believe it's for every single person, no doubt. It's for anyone who's willing to pick it, pick it up, can gain something from it. But I would guess that there's a large uh, part of it that is really geared toward the, the human person who is just struggling. Um especially that person who might be struggling with like a repeated sin. Um, so can you talk just a little bit about how this prayer book offers support and guidance towards lasting transformation and deeper confidence in divine mercy? Cause I think so many people are going to pick this up and they're going to say, I can't change. I've been struggling with X sin for X amount of time, five years, 10 years, whatever, and it won't go away. I am never going to find healing or I'm never going to be able to have that conversion of my heart. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Interested in learning more about your faith? I invite you to check out Good Catholic. They are a digital media brand focused on sharing and teaching about the faith. From podcasts to blogs to digital series, Good Catholic has it all. Use the code in the show notes to get 20% off your order at Good Catholic. Yeah, yeah, and and I I know what that feels like. You know, I I've, I've been through that as well, and in many ways I'm still going through that valley. And, you know, I, I lived a life that for a long time that I wasn't Catholic. Like I said, there was no struggle. So, you know, I acquired many vices during that time that I'm still trying to get rid of it, even after 15 years. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a darn dirty lie to say that God's grace cannot heal us, that we can't get beyond the thing. And I think this, what this book seeks to do for, for that person 
is to just turn it into a devotion. Like you've got, you've got the sacrament of confession, which in many parts of the rest of the world isn't suppressed, is, is easy to get to. There are occasions where you're sick or you get in a car accident, you can't make it to confession or you can't find, you can't find a, a good time for confession. Maybe, maybe the, the rectory or the parish office doesn't really, isn't really as interested in you are as getting to confession. We've probably all been there. Um, but if you treat contrition like it's meant to be treated, which is a prayer, like the Council of Trent says penance, penance is a virtue. It's, it's not just something we do on Saturdays. And it's not just something we do for 40 days once a year. Penance is a virtue. It's a continued disposition and habit that we can build and we can pray through, pray for, and towards perfect contrition, we can we can really kind of engage what what is needed from us in order for God to move. What are the obstacles that we're putting in play in front of God that we're holding back God's grace? You know, by by for instance, not not really thinking about like the restitution you have to make or the forgiveness of injuries that you have to make or or the amendment to life that you have to make in order to really deepen your conversion. Um, so this book seeks to to really kind of walk you through that, pace you through that. Um, and you know, I, the one the one gem of this that I, I would love to take credit for as a creative professional, but I cannot because it's blasphemy, are the seven penitential psalms. These these psalms, if you're unfamiliar with these psalms, uh, I won't number them. They're numbered according to the Dewey Reigns numbering in the book. Okay. Uh, but they have different numbering in like RSV and ESV, I think. Uh, I'm sure if you use some more modern translations. But these penitential psalms, when I discovered these when I, as I was converting, I just, I found, I found a kindred spirit. Like all the things that I was feeling, he he was describing and of course like that kindred spirit is the holy spirit speaking through the mouth and the pen of david the holy prophet uh, but but there's this there's one penitential psalm which we put in a section um let me try to find it real quick we put into it the section that has a prayer to saint mary magdalene which happens like near the middle of the book psalm 101 and describes the penitent it says these words through the voice of my groaning, my bone hath cleaved to my flesh. I am become like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like a night raven in the house. I have watched and become as a sparrow all alone on the housetop. So there's three images. The pelican in the wilderness is a bird that's nesting away from the sea, away from its food source. So if you're ever at an old European medieval cathedral, you see a stained glass of a pelican feeding its babies its blood. That's a pelican of the wilderness. I'm like a night raven in the house. This is a really big bird in a really small, like ancient Middle Eastern, like hubble. Like it, it's not supposed to be flying around in that small of a place. So it's contained, it's like held back. And then I'm a sparrow all alone on the housetop. Like imagine, you know, a, a small bird on the top of a house looking out against a vast and almost infinite horizon. And just feeling so vulnerable. Like, what kind of predators are out there? What kinds of vulnerabilities am I am I facing? Like, I feel all. I God's not here. Like, there's this vast emptiness. Where's God? Um, 
and that psalm that psalm is just one of many psalms that like just cut to the heart of the experience of being someone caught in mortal sin and needing to go to confession um, and I, I encourage people to just like thumb through and memorize those psalms and, and don't worry about the rest of the book if you just like walk away with a healthy understanding of those psalms and de- devote yourselves to them i've done my job well, that's beautiful. I and I, I have no doubt that these are also some of the psalms that uh, you and I and so many others have received as a as part of our penance at confession uh, given out by a priest. So I I'm excited to I'm in the midst of a book right now um, reading De Montfort, but I'm excited to add this to uh, my Lenten reading. I think it will be uh, most applicable. Uh, Stephen, I want to be respectful of your time. I want to give you a chance for one, where can someone get your book? And then two, any any final thoughts that you might want to add to what we've talked about? I I have really enjoyed our conversation. I think this is such a, a, a especially important topic for people to be thinking about recognizing the Lord's love and recognizing his mercy. I don't think we can talk about it enough. So I I thank you for for getting uh, giving me the opportunity to listen and to hear about your work, but uh, also just to to think think a little bit more about this. Yeah, yeah, it's been my pleasure. Um, so the best place to find this book is sophiainstitute.com. That's sophiainstitute.com. That's the, the publisher. They've got um, probably the the easiest, most direct path to purchasing the book. You can you can find it on a variety of other sellers online too. Um, if you're a, a gift shop at a church and you want a bulk option, there's a way to do that as well, I believe. Um, but yeah, I think parting thoughts, like if when you buy the book, you know, at the start of our call, I, I mentioned St. Bibiana, who really is, she's the chief opera, operation of my apostolate. Um, this, this is more of an indirect way to extend her reach, so to speak. So there, she is hidden near the back. You can see a little vignette on her life. Um, of what we know of her life and more information about doubt and Angeli. Um, but we, if you, if a lot of people after 2020 left uh, LA and California, of course, no hard feelings there. I understand. I, I tried to do that. So, uh, <laughs> Someone you, to stay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you find yourself, if you you are a native Californian or Angelino and you're outside of uh the jurisdiction of the archdiocese, I would highly encourage you to have a devotion to St. Bibiana still. Um, if you're still a Los Angeles person at heart, California person at heart, she's very powerful. Um, if you're interested in getting uh, devotional materials, either for you or your parish, uh, please see our website, gaudentangeli.com. Gaudent is spelled like Gaudete Sunday, but uh, with the E-N-T at the end, Gaudent, G-A-U-D-E-N-T, Angeli. Latin for angels, A-N-G-E-L-I.com. Uh, you can sign up for a mailing I'll list. I'll that in the show notes. Okay, great. Thank you so much. So that, yeah, so that people can get it. If they're sitting at home trying to write this down, don't worry. I'll put it in the show notes. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm, I'm new to this. so uh, No, no, no. You're, you're good. It's good to spell it out. I'm just, I also know that there's enough people out there who are going to be like, oh, no, I want to I check it out. Don't worry. It's, it's there. Well, thank you, uh, Stephen. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. Anything anything else that you'd like to add? Um, nothing else. Uh, I mean, we're we're a nonprofit 
as well. So if you're interested in giving donations, I don't make any money on this book. It goes straight to the nonprofit where we raise money for more devotional materials, more books like this, um, and and really just making sure people don't forget about seeing Viviana. Amen. Well, I can uh, say thank you so much for having uh, allowing me to have this conversation with you. Know of my prayers for you, uh, you and your ministry. I want to ask you two quick questions before you leave. I ask these to every single guest. Firstly, who's your Mount Rushmore of saints? Oh, man. Um, it changes seasonally, but right now I'm going through a very Franciscan period of my life. So uh, St. Francis of Assisi is uh, is my my holy father. Um, and then St. Margaret, Margaret of Cortona, who's called the Seraphic Magdalene. She's the Mary Magdalene of the, of the Franciscan order. Um, St. Stephen Martyr, of course. And then uh, how many people are in Mount Rushmore? How many Four, places? but you can have Four. more if you want. Let me, uh, let me think here. St. Mary Magdalene, of course, and um, St. Viviana, like, no doubt. We, we have a, my family has a devotion to St. Raphael, the Archangel, uh, which I encourage everybody to do that too, especially on this side of the pandemic. And a lot of people's health are, are, have been compromised by COVID or long COVID. Uh, but he's, he's a great patron saint to help you uh, stay healthy. But yeah, that's, yeah, I, the, I pray the to him. I pray to him most days uh, for divine appointments. He's also the patron saint of divine appointments. So, uh, oh, right on. Whoever, whoever I encounter every day, that I can hopefully be Christ to them. Um, all right, my last question for you: One day, Stephen, God willing, you are going to be a saint. What are you going to be the patron saint of? Oh man, um, working from home. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I've got six kids, and I work in technology and. Uh, I'm, we're talking from my garage office, uh, but that it's very hard work. I, I wouldn't say I'm I'm uh, doing it well by any means, but it might be more of a divine humor thing for God to make <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you so much to anyone who's at home listening. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to go give Stephen's uh, website a look and purchase his book. Uh, if you like today's podcast, make sure to give us five-star review. Thank you so much and God bless. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to subscribe and check out goodcatholic.com for more details.